This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. It is year end as we head into an election year. My special guest today is Ontario NDP leader Andrea Horvath. Welcome. Thanks for being here. It's absolutely my pleasure, Libby. Okay. And Andrea, of course, is ready to take your calls and your questions. The number is 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And first, let me set things up in terms of the horse race. So Ontario's NDP got an early Christmas present in the form of a recent poll that bumps them to 26%, just a touch ahead of the Liberals, and that's enough to form the official opposition. That same forum research poll shows the Kathleen Wynne Liberals headed toward a third-place finish. Not so fast. The Toronto Star seems to be proclaiming Kathleen Wynne's resurrection with a new Angus Reid poll, which shows her approval rating up to 20% from a low of 12%, though she is still the least popular premier in the country. And and what does that mean for Andrea Horvath uh, in your... Year-end news conference on the last day of the sitting of the legislature, uh, you took a parting shot at the Liberals, noting that their party's popular policies, pharmacare and hiking the minimum wage, are... uh NDP ideas. <laughs> well, oh. that's that's definitely true, and uh, it's unfortunate they take they take so long to uh, pick up on our ideas. But but look, you know, it's interesting. There's going to be a lot of polling between now and the election. But as uh, as we always say, the most important poll is the one that comes on election day. Uh, I can tell you though, being out there in the community, whether it's here in Toronto, whether it's anywhere across the province, people are pretty disappointed with the Liberals and uh, and with Kathleen Wynne. Uh, they um, they don't trust that she'll do what she says she does because she hasn't done that so far uh, in terms of her promises that she's made. She promised things would be different with her at the helm. People don't see that. So there is a real sense of disappointment. And so what I'm picking up is, uh, as folks are starting to turn their minds to the election coming next year, uh, I'm picking up a, um, you know, a real interest. Uh, people are taking a hard look at, at myself. They're taking a hard look at Patrick Brown. Uh, they're saying we're not, we're not interested in the Liberals' anymore and we're looking to see what's next for Ontario. So it's going to be an interesting um, an interesting new year uh, right up until the election and I think people um, will have much to judge uh, as we go through that process. I mean certainly as you mentioned our ideas have been out there for a while whether it's minimum wage which was geez almost two years ago I brought forward the minimum wage to $15 an hour. Uh, in, the, in January I brought forward our plan for Hydro One. Uh, I was shocked to see that Patrick Brown has in his recent uh, plan uh, indicated that he's happy with Kathleen Wynne's hydro system. He's not going to change a thing about it. Uh, we think that we can do better. Uh, we think we can 
and bring Hydro One back into a, a, an organization that works for the people. Uh, that's uh, again under public control. Uh, we brought forward our PharmaCare plan, which you might know. Uh, we talked about that here, as a matter of fact, with the well, free now, prescription drugs. And now she seems to be saying that that going into the election year, she's going to push for a national. Pharmacare plan, which a lot of people are calling for. Oh, there's no doubt. And we've been calling for that as well. Uh, but again, there's been little movement on the national scale. And when you think about our treasured universal health care plan, our, our system that we have, our, our Medicare system, as it's called, uh, that started with the leadership of, uh, of one premier. Uh, and that was in Saskatchewan. And that was Tommy Douglas. And he brought Medicare to that province. And then uh, eventually it spread to a couple other provinces. And then the federal government had federal government had no real option but to ensure that there was a nationwide uh, Medicare system. And so when we brought our Pharmacare plan forward earlier in the year, that was one of our intentions as well. I mean, let's start it here in the most populous province and and it will force uh, other provinces to step up to the plate and it'll force the federal government to step up to the plate. Well, well, she she seems to be hinting that that's what she might do if re-elected. It's, it's interesting though, her government's Pharmacare, which is taking effect on January 1, has come under criticism. It's funding drugs for uh, young people under 24. Uh, a lot of those people are already covered. They're, they're not generally the people who um, are that much at risk of not being able to afford drugs. Those, of course, are people in midlife who are starting to get complex health conditions. Absolutely. Uh, people in their 50s and 60s who are too young to qualify for the Ontario Drug Benefit Program. Absolutely. And and that's why our plan is completely different. And again, I I, uh, I can tell people there will be no question with an NDP government. We It's not that we might or might not bring a full pharmacare plan to Ontario. We will do that. We've made that commitment. Um, you know, Kathleen Wynne's let a lot of people down. Uh, people don't trust that she's going to do what she says she's going to do, and you can't blame them. Uh, you can trust, though, that the NDP will bring this forward in Ontario. I'm committed to it, and should I become the Premier next year? Should I have that honour? Uh, that's what people can expect. I mean, it's it's really, it's interesting. I think this election is about bringing hope back to Ontario, that things can be different, that we don't have to be selling off our treasured, revenue-generating public assets, uh, that we don't have have to be cutting back our healthcare system to the point where people are lined up uh, in stretchers in hallways in our hospitals and, and people being turned away now uh, from our hospitals when they need them the most. I mean, it doesn't have to be like that in this province. And that's uh, that's what, what we think uh, we can offer. That's why we've been bringing our ideas forward for the last year. So whether it's pharmacare, whether it's the hydro plan, uh, whether it's, you know, making sure there's a good work-life balance where people have good quality of, of life uh, uh, in terms of labor relations, whether it's making sure that our hospitals are funded so that they meet the needs of, uh, of the, the patients that are so ne- desperately needing care. Uh, these, are, these are the priorities that, that uh, we'll bring forward because this is what Ontarians expect. They expect their government to take care of the fundamentals, right? Uh, and that's why we're focused on those kinds of issues. Uh, what do you think the ballot question will be in the last federal election, it was just, most people felt it was time to get rid of Stephen Harper, simple, like the government was past its best before date. Do you think it will be that or a a more kind of a a positive message that you... Well, I mean, it's hard to say. I mean, it really is hard to say. I know that, uh, as I said earlier, uh, people really are taking a hard look at what comes next for Ontario. So I don't think it's just a matter of, um, you know, the Liberals are done. Uh, uh, It's 
simply about change and, and getting rid of this government. I think people uh, are worried about the future. Look, I mean, I've, you and I have talked about this before. I mean, folks are worried not only about themselves and, and where they are in terms of their ability to, to get ahead, you know, to have a decent life and not feel like they're constantly falling, slipping backwards, uh, but to, to get ahead and have a good life. But they're also worried about the next generation and what what we're leaving for the next generation. And so I think that, that yes, there's this, this dissatisfaction, um, disappointment with the Liberals, uh, but I think there's also a, you know, a sense of, you know, what comes next for Ontario? What, what is the next, who is the next Premier going to be? And how are we going to, you know, to build a future where, where we can have hope again for, for things like our, our healthcare system and, and like our, our young people being able to, you know, build a life, be able to have a job and, 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 and have a family before they're 40 years old, right? Um, I want to throw it out there again. I'm here with Ontario NDP leader Andrea Horvath. Uh, we're talking, uh, we're taking stock of the year that is ending and we're looking ahead to 28 election year. Uh, at the beginning of June, there will be an election. And um, we'd like to hear from you. What, is, what do you think the most important thing what is the most important thing for you in terms of how you are going to vote? Is there an issue? Is there a new program you'd like to see? Or are you just fed up with what we have? Let us know. And have you made up your mind or have you thought that maybe you might, you know, change your vote? All of this is very interesting to us. So please give us a shout. 416-360-0740, toll free 1-866-740-4740. Let's talk about hospitals. We had a whole bunch of reports that confirmed what anyone who's been near a hospital knows terrible overcrowding. And most of it, uh, this kind of hallway medicine, most of it, for people who need to be admitted, the waits are interminably long, and the reason being that there are people who are in the hospital who don't need to be in the hospital but are there because there's nowhere for them to go. How would you solve that? Well, I mean, there's a couple of things. Certainly, there's there's definitely an overcrowding situation. Uh, the alternative level of care patients, which is those folks that should uh, likely be in long-term care, for example, um, you know, they are definitely uh, creating, um, they, that creates a bit of pressure. Uh, we also have to acknowledge that the Liberal government has been freezing hospital budgets for 10 years now. So for 10 years, they've either been frozen or having increases below inflation, uh, which has caused the hospitals to continue to lay off staff and reduce their their uh, complements and uh, try to find savings and try to make do with less. And so you you, you kind of have a a number of pressures at the same time. You've got the uh, alternative level of care patients. You've got a, a really tightly squeezed budgets for a decade, uh, and you've got an aging demographic uh, and a and a situation where patients have higher acuity le- acuity levels when they uh, when they get into the hospital. So, all of these things have created this really a crisis. We, the NDP, have been. I think the first one that we did, the first press conference on this was back in May of 2016. Uh, for, so for over a year, almost a year and a half now, in fact, over a year and a half, we've been sounding the alarm bells. Uh, and we were hearing it from patients and family members. We were hearing it from frontline workers like nurses and other healthcare workers. Uh, the Ontario uh, Medical Association, the, 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 the doctors started sounding the alarm bells. And of course, just recently, the OHA, the Ontario Hospital Association, uh, weighed in uh, 
couple of weeks ago and then very strongly uh, just last week. It's it's very, very worrisome. And again, this didn't happen overnight. It happened uh, over time and the, the Liberals simply dropped the ball. And the, the the worst part about that is this means that we have, you know, 84-year-old women um, in a hospital, in a lounge or a TV room with three other people. Um, and in one, one instance, having to be put in a shower room overnight because things got so crowded. Oh God, people yeah. lying in hallways without call bells. People getting their medical services in front of all kinds of strangers so that everybody knows exactly why you're in the hospital. No dignity, no privacy, um, you know, very, uh, very difficult situations that should not be happening. Okay, they, they've uh, put in some emergency beds, sure, uh, which seems like, uh, short term anyway, the right thing to do. Uh, unfortunately, the funding for those beds only goes to the end of next March. Yeah. So what would you do? I mean, you know, you you can't um, create the beds out of thin air or the long-term care beds where all these other patients have to go. So what would you do? Well, sure. Well, there there are a couple of things, and we've made some commitments already in this regard. I mean, uh, first and foremost, you have to fund the hospitals appropriately to be able to do the jobs that they're supposed to be doing. Uh, And and that can be done immediately. I mean, the uh, Ontario Hospital Association has asked for a certain amount of funding in the most recent pre-budget submission, which was just the other week. Uh, That needs to be taken care of. What we've said is we will, we will, at the very minimum, fund hospitals to meet the inflationary pressure, to meet population growth pressures, because places like Peel Region, particularly in Brampton, yeah. uh, it's one of the worst situations, right? Uh, and, then, um, and then we'd also acknowledge and recognize the unique circumstances of some communities. So nor- Northern Ontario has unique situations. Rural Ontario has unique situations. So let's not forget that it's not a cookie-cutter approach. So you would fund the hospitals appropriately. Uh, we would have to really make a lot of investments in home care uh, and in long-term care. Uh, and, and you know, unfortunately, although the government says they're cutting back in hospitals to fund the community services more, we don't see that happening. We still, we still see rationing, actually, of home care services. Um, it, it's a system that's, that's not working well. Okay, uh, let's get to the phones. We've got Joan in Oshawa. Hello, Joan. Hello, Libby. Hello, Andrea. Hi, Joan. Um, I have a question for you. Can something be done for the thousands of women who stayed home to raise their children, which made them ineligible to receive CPP? Because I'm one of them. Well, you know what, you, you actually raise a, a really important question, and it's uh, it's something that has been um, debated and discussed for many, many years. In fact, I can remember even when I was in university and uh, taking some courses on women's studies, this was an issue, and that was in the 80s. And so uh, you've hit the nail on the head. There are many, many women who who worked, but they worked in the home. They worked, but they worked with unpaid labor, uh, and their unpaid labor allowed their their partners, their husbands, usually uh, to go out and work and and be able to uh, uh, you know to bring home the uh, the paychecks. But you're right. In the meantime, uh, women then ended up in a situation where, upon retirement, they don't have the the uh, contributions into the Canada Pension Plan. No, so there well, have been discussions about. I'm only receiving OAS, and that's another thing. We need the OAS raised. I'm getting $500 a month, that's all. I mean, how can you live on something well, like that? Well, you can't. You no. can't even exist. Those are, you, you know... You couldn't even pay rent. Yeah, those are federal. A month. It's, it's ludicrous. 
How would you, know, you deal with that? Those are federal, Andrea. Well, they are federal, but one of the things that we did um, many years, a couple of years ago now, is put together a, an Ontario pension plan, which then got adopted by Kathleen Wynne mm. and the Liberals, which then forced the federal government to uh, make some changes to the CPP system. But they didn't address what Joan's talking about. They didn't address the, uh, you know, the situation that many, many senior women are now facing. And again, I mean, we, we need to look at how do we find ways to en- ensure that people are able to, to eat and, and pay their rent and keep a roof over their head. And, and well, some of well, that that's is... that's the thing too, Andrea. I mean, even with a partner, it's still not going to cover, you know, all the necessities and uh, what do you call it, uh, upkeep on your hydro and everything. That's another darn problem. Oh, yeah. Up- okay. Upkeep on your, your vehicle, if you have a vehicle, or uh, your property taxes. Good grief. Yeah, the Joan, it's a, it, anything like that into consideration for seniors. They'd actually like seniors to move into a one room if they had their way, I think. Okay, Joan, thanks a lot for your call. Well, thank you, and have a very Merry Christmas, both of you, and a thanks, Happy Joan. Hanukkah. Thank That's you very you. much. You're welcome. Okay, let's go to Elaine in Bob Cajun. Hi, Elaine. Hi. I was hoping, I'm glad I got through because I'd like to know if the NDP has anything in their platform for keeping people healthy so that we would not have all these demands on our hospital services. Well, Elaine, it's a, it's a really good question. Our platform isn't uh, out yet, so we're still in the development stages, so you might have just planted a good seed there. Uh, but uh, but in all seriousness, my health critic uh, is a woman from Nickel Belt, and her previous occupation was as a as a physiotherapist, and uh, and she also worked as a uh, the executive director of a community health centre. And one of the things that community health centres do uh, is exactly that. They look at the whole person. They provide, you know, supports and advice around a healthy lifestyle around diet, around exercise, uh, around those kinds of pieces. And what they call it is upstream investments. And so if you're making the upstream investments in people's ability to stay well, uh, then downstream, you don't have as much pres- pressure in your healthcare system. And so you've uh, you've identified a really important piece, and it's something mm-hmm. that we, we are always looking at. Uh, and, I- and this is where stuff like smoking cessation programs come in and uh, pieces like that, as well as, you know, uh, educationals around uh, alcohol consumption, and, and exercise. Thanks, Elaine, for your call. Let's uh, move along to David in Newmarket. Hi, David. Hello, how are you? Fine. Good. Uh, Andrea, thanks for taking my call. Appreciate it. Oh, my goodness. There's, uh, as I mentioned, there's numerous things I could talk about, but let's, let's say um, for seniors. I'm a senior myself, but that's not the only reason I'm calling. Is because... Um, with seniors, what type of legislation are you going to enforce that uh, if a senior gets abused in a nursing home, a lot of seniors are scared to go in government nursing homes, assisted nursing homes today because of all the abuse. I watched a program, I think it was on W5 uh, a couple years ago. And um, if there's any type of assault or that, um, nursing homes or police don't tend to want to get involved or, or press charges because they kind of say, well, that's up to the administration, blah, blah, blah. So um, you know where I'm coming from. So what type of legislation is going to uh, secure, ensure that the seniors are safe in government-assisted nursing homes? Well, David, you've, you've raised uh, one of the Huge. top issues. Yeah, one Thanks, of the top David, issues. for that. Yeah, thank you so much. Going to um, let Andrea respond. Yeah, no, it's, 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 uh, it's a serious situation. One of the things that also occurs is that... Uh, 
family members are sometimes reticent to uh, complain about uh, the situation in the home uh, or the or the treatment of their loved one because they don't want to see retaliation against their loved one when they're not around and it's it's a bad situation one of the things that we are uh, a little disappointed significantly disappointed with actually is that the government hasn't utilized this opportunity that they are have undertaken around the public inquiry into the wet law firm murders so there's a public inquiry underway but it's really scoped to the the wet law for murders this is the nurse you might recall who in Woodstock in London uh, murdered some of the patients in a couple or the residents rather in a couple of long-term care homes uh, and instead of actually broadening the scope of this I public thought they inquiry did broaden the scope no no they claim that they have a broad scope but they don't uh, if you look at the actual mandate of the inquiry it speaks about uh, anything that they can identify uh, that would have uh, allowed the circumstances to be such that these murders could take place or any other such circumstances or any other such type of uh, event to take place. So in other words, it's all scoped around the murders or or that type of behavior. It's not a broad scope whatsoever. And so what we are saying is this is the opportunity. Broaden the scope of that public inquiry. Uh, if we form government, we will be broadening the scope immediately. We will broaden the scope uh, and we'll take a find and fix approach. And this comes to the answer of uh, to David's question. Um, what I've seen in other provinces is that rather than wait for the final report of some inquiry that might take three or four years before it's actually complete, um, what you do is you actually begin to fix the problems as they're found in the process of the inquiry. Okay, now to David's question about legislation. Sure. Uh, I, I mean, I'm even wondering how legislation could fix some of these problems. We see more and more resident on resident violence. It's, it's a result of dementia. Mm-hmm. And, and you can't really, in most cases prosecute people with dementia. So mm-hmm. so how do you deal with that? Well, I mean, there's, there's, there is resident-on-resident uh, violence, but uh, we've just seen some horrifying statistics yes. and information from Ottawa, where, in fact, uh, it's, been, uh, it's been caregivers that have, uh, I mean, it's been staff that have done this. And again, I, I don't certainly paint a wide brush that all staff are, are uh, uh, you know, doing that kind of uh, thing to their, their residents, but, but we know it does happen. And we do know, I mean, I've seen horrifying examples of, of, uh, of serious, serious patient abuse uh, that, as David said, does not get prosecuted by police uh, and that uh, doesn't get dealt with. So there's a couple of things. There there are pieces around dementia, as you mentioned, Libby. Uh, There's work that needs to be done even before people end up in long-term care to to try to help people address uh, the dementia and Alzheimer's issue far earlier in their uh, in their path, if you will, through that disease. Uh, but we also have to acknowledge that we have an obligation to keep people safe. And so whether that means extra resources, whether it means extra staffing, whether that means different uh, different types of, um, of units uh, to house the folks who are uh, particularly violent, all of that needs to be addressed. Uh, just by the way, I just checked the waiting list for long-term care for nursing homes in Ontario is 32,000. Yeah, it's 32,000 long, and the estimates are that by 2020, uh, that'll grow to over 50,000. And so it's very, very problematic. And and let's face it, I mean, we do have an age, aging demographic. Shame on us if we don't get it right. If, if we just start building more long-term care units and 
don't get get the resourcing right, don't get the staffing levels right, don't get the the physical model correct, don't get the repercussions right around when things go wrong. Uh, it'll just it'll just be a, a horrifying situation. And of course, we also want to try to make sure that we're doing everything we can to help people age in place, to help people yeah. have the supports they need to stay home. Because look at that's where people feel the most comfortable, where they can still look out the the window and see you know the church and see the uh, the synagogue and see this playground of the school and you know they feel comfortable and uh, and well in their own surroundings so the more supports we can provide to people to help them stay healthy and well and vigorous at home uh, I think that's the other solution as well well of course but the other problem of course is that it, that is starting to happen so that when people arrive in long-term care, they are older and they are sicker. And It's true. The acuity levels are much, much higher than they have been in the past, which is adding to this pressure. So not only do we have fewer uh, beds than we need, we also have, uh, you know, very uh, hard to uh, handle and hard to deal with uh, pay, uh, residents. Um, and we have a funding model that doesn't is not been keeping up with these pressures. Okay, uh, let's hear from... Maria in Toronto. Maria? Yes, hi Libby, how are you? I'm fine, you're on the air. Thank you so much for my uh, for taking me uh my question. I have a question for our Democrat leader. Where would she get money to pay for all this that she's uh, hoping to achieve? And another thing about the hospital, like oh there's uh, uh well, quarter million people coming into the country. And we have to, some of them are sick, and we have to uh, put them into hospital or emergency or whatever, and yet we do not uh, build quick enough hospitals to accommodate them. Well, th- thank you for that, Maria. Uh, so, uh, first of all, on the uh, the issue of where where do the dollars come from? I mean, one of the things that people find so disappointing about Kathleen Wynne and the Liberals is how much of the public uh, the public dollar has gone to um, interests that are not you know, don't have the public at heart. So, for example, I mean, you can talk about the scandals, we can talk about the gas plants, we can talk about, uh, you know, Orange Air Ambulance, we can talk about e-health, we can talk about, you know, all of the, the hydro issues that we're dealing with now. Uh, I mean, it's it's obvious that this government has not been uh, very protective of the public dollar. It's also obvious that a lot of very well-connected folks, um, kind of well-connected to the Liberal Party, uh, were able to do very well over these last 14 years. So for us, for the NDP, uh, our, our priority is making sure that every single public dollar uh, is invested in making life better for people. Um, we think that every decision government makes, uh, and I believe personally, I mean, I've, it's been 20 years now that I've been in politics. I started off at city council in Hamilton. I was there for seven years. I've been an MB- MPP ever since. The only reason I do this is because I firmly believe that we can make life better for people and, and that that's what government should be all about. And that's what the public dollar should be used for. Every single decision should have the public have people at the heart of it. And so um, we would actually look at what's being done uh, in government right now. We would look at all parts of government and make sure that the priorities that people expect government to 
to take to fulfill and to take care of things like our hospitals, things like making sure that we have a hydro system that operates in the best interests of families and businesses and industry. Uh, these are the things that uh, that we would direct the public dollar to, making life better for people. And I, I firmly believe that that's possible. I know some people think that you know government. You know, government's been, um, you know, so disappointing and and nobody can change it and everything's going to just stay the same. You know, if I believed that, I wouldn't be doing this uh, this job because I really do believe there is hope for the future and we can change, uh, change the way things are done and show people that government can work for you. Okay, Maria, thank you for your call. We have to take a quick break, but we will be back and we'll be taking more of your calls and your questions for Andrea Horvath. Before we go to break, the number is 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-744-740, and we'll be right back. The Afternoon Express with Norm Edwards is now the Afternoon Express with Norm Edwards and Eva D. If you could use a pick-me-up at work, if you'd benefit from more energy in the afternoon, if you'd like your drive home to pass like that, you're really going to like this. The Afternoon Express, now with Norm Edwards and Eva D on Zoomer Radio, AM 740, and downtown Toronto at FM 96.7. I'm stepping out with my baby Can't go wrong, cause I'm in right It's for sure, not for maybe That I'm all dressed up tonight Steppin' Out spends the holiday season Surrounded by the best live events Present and future Charles Dickens said There is nothing in the world so irresistibly contagious As laughter and good humor Good to know because his timeless tale of a Christmas curmudgeon is after your funny bone in Ross Petty Productions' A Christmas Carol, the family musical with the Scrooge Loose, on stage at Elgin Theatre through December 31st. See the rock and roll spectacle the New York Times calls an adrenaline rush. The North American premiere of Battered of Hell, the musical, plays at the Ed Murphy's Theatre until January 7th. Tickets are on sale now for Yanni, Acropolis 25, the live concert tour coming to the Budweiser stage next July. Order yours at ticketmaster.ca. For a complete listing of arts and events, be sure to check out zoomerradio.ca. Holiday shopping can get pretty tedious. But Chevrolet's holiday event is going to kick your holiday shopping into high gear. This season, you get 0% purchase financing and up to $4,000 in total value on the 2018 Silverado 1500 Double Cab Midnight Edition. When you apply for a GM card, there's holiday shopping and there's holiday shopping. Offer ends January 2nd. Visit OntarioChevroletDealers.ca for details. With Nicorette Quick Mist Coolberry, you're not just stopping smoking, you're starting. Starting that hobby again. Starting to make playlists for running. Starting to tire them out. <laughs> New Nicorette Quick Mist Coolberry stops cravings fast, making you almost 150% more likely to quit versus willpower alone. So you're not just stopping, you're starting. Nicorette, do something amazing. To be sure this product is right for you, always read and follow the label. To be used with willpower as part of the smoking cessation program. This weekend on the Chris Robinson Travel Show. Chris catches up with Charles Darwin, 600 miles off the coast of Ecuador in the Galapagos Islands. World travelers Chris Robinson and his guests share the culture, cuisine, and charm of places near and far, sometimes taking you on location. Where to go? Try our favorite destination, the Chris Robinson Travel Show, Saturday and Sunday at 11 on Zoomer Radio. 
and online at chrisrobinsontravelshow.com. Staples knows what people want. Two things, a really awesome gift at a really low price. So Staples has something new and cool day in and day out. And there's the Staples low price guarantee. Laptops, voice assistants, unlocked smartphones, PC gaming, headphones, photo gifts, and more at guaranteed low prices. For everything they really want, you really want Staples. Staples, gifts they'll love, prices you'll love. Save $5 in the 32 gigabyte Kingston micro SD card with adapter, now just $19.92. Staples, low prices guaranteed. Fight Back with Libby Zneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Uh, we are here with the Ontario NDP leader, Andrea Horvath, She's taking your calls and questions, and we have a few more minutes left. Let's go to William in Toronto. Hi, William. Hi. Um, I'd like to tell Andrea to get ready to win and be in the driver's seat this time around. Uh, uh, because uh, last time around, you were caught by surprise when uh, when when you were when uh, you got the premiership, and as and the Liberals told you there was a, a good uh, balanced budget, and when you got there, you have found a huge debt. So the uh, uh, you're referring to Bob to Ray in 1990. Yeah, he was. You yeah. got caught by surprise. You were ready to be the third party. Forget about third party and the second and official opposition. You get ready to win and go into the driver's seat. Forget about what the uh, Toronto Star says. They're just uh, uh, delusional legends in their own mind. Uh, you, get, <laughs> you get ready to win and to govern. Well, thank okay, you, it's William. Your, it's your time now. Everyone else has made it disaster of it, it's your time to get in there and fix it all. Well, thanks, thanks, William. William. I appreciate Thank that. You. Okay, let's go to Ken in Whitby. Hi, Ken. Hi. Uh, hi, Andrea and Libby. Uh, hi. My question is, if by chance uh, it's going to be a minority government, what party would you side with? Well, the other question is, what party would side with me? <laughs> <laughs> Good question. We really don't know what uh, what that would look like, do we? <laughs> Which would be your preference? Would you mind answering that? Well, again, I mean, you know, I, I'm uh, I'm in it to win it. Uh, the NDP is oh, yeah, in it to true. win it. There's there's no doubt about it. And I think that um, you know it'll be it'll be an interesting campaign. And and much of you know what happens after election day uh, will be determined by election day. And I, I would rather wait to see what the people decide uh, before making any kind of um, you know projections or, or predictions about where things will end up. What I can tell you, though, is that um, I haven't seen much difference uh, between the behavior of the Liberal Party here in Ontario and what we we usually see from Conservatives, which is cutting and privatizing and squeezing services and austerity agendas, uh, austerity budgets. I mean, this is what we've seen from both of those parties. That's why the NDP wants to form government, because we believe that there's a different way of doing things for Ontario. And let me ask you this. Uh, thanks for your call, Ken. Uh, okay. the, the platform that we saw from the progressive conservatives actually looks like it can rightfully be called progressive conservative red Tory. Uh, does that make things 
easier or more difficult for you? Uh, well, you know, again, I think it's up to it's going to be up to the people to decide what they what they want to um, what they want to see for the future of Ontario. Uh, I have some, um, you know, I have some concerns about the plan that Patrick Brown has to keep things the same when it comes to our hydro system. And we know that's one of the biggest issues people are concerned about. And he's basically uh, acquiesced to the liberal plan. Uh, New Democrats believe we can change that up and, and actually bring people's rates down by 30 percent get rid of uh, of uh, forced or, or mandatory time of use pricing uh, make sure that folks have you know equal uh, delivery charges especially in rural and and small town Ontario northern Ontario uh, so we think that there are things that um, can be changed the other big worry though is that 6.1 billion dollars is in Patrick Brown's plan of unexplained cuts well we remember what the last conservative leader did did when he was calculating his cuts, he said that was going to be a hundred thousand dollars, a hundred thousand jobs. But we don't know what that six point one billion dollars is going to be. Well, he's it, saying that that uh, he will find that in value for money audits. Do you believe that? <laughs> Not for a minute. I don't believe that for a minute. Six point one billion dollars is a huge amount of money, and it does mean services and it does mean jobs. It means it means cuts to uh, to people's jobs and it means cuts to public services. And again, um, you know, there's there's no doubt. And I'm the first one to say that the the liberals haven't done well in terms of respecting the public purse uh but um you know one thing i can tell you for sure is our platform will be out and people will see it uh in full uh far before anyone will see what those 6.1 billion dollars of cuts looks like okay uh sue in muskoka hello sue hello yes hello uh, libby and andrea thank you for taking my call um as a retired home care nurse um, I've seen firsthand how important it is to have uh, timely home care and the right, you know, the old right caregiver at the right time in the right place. And one of the, um, like, governments after governments have not um, um, uh, been true to their promise of, of accessing or giving enough money into home care, which is one of the answers to the, um, the uh, hospital beds and allowing patients to go home. And we need a leader who is bold and brave and thinking outside of the box to shake up the system, to do it differently and smarter. Your comments, please, Andrea. Thanks. I'm going to let Andrea respond. Uh, thanks. Uh, thanks very much. You've 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 really you've really hit the nail on the head when it comes to the um, when it comes to the home care system and and. So many people that I've talked to who are promised uh, that a nurse will be seeing them in their home within 24 hours of discharge, and then that nurse doesn't show up, and three or four or five days later, uh, they finally get the nurse. By then, they're ready to go back to emerge uh, because they they haven't been able to take care of of their post uh, hospital uh, conditions. And so, uh, you've you've actually identified something so important. We, we we're into a revolving door now, where we have people leaving mm-hmm. hospital, not getting the home uh, home care that they. Need need, not getting the supports from uh, from nurses and other, you know, other, as you said, other uh, uh, caregivers uh, that uh, that are necessary to help them uh, begin to heal at home and, and uh, you know, bounce back in terms of their health. So there's, there's no doubt that home care has got to be uh, refocused. And I don't think it's a matter of simply, you know, these sub-lins that, Lindy, Lindy, um, that Libby and I were talking about earlier, these, uh, the, the, getting rid of the CCACs and folding that back into the LINs and all of this 
administrative, uh, you know, pieces. There's no doubt that you need case managers uh, to uh, ensure that the work is being done or that the proper resources are being provided. Uh, but um, what we need is the frontline hands there. And what we need is to make sure that those frontline hands, those nurses uh, and those uh, RPNs and uh, those um, uh, uh, PSWs are getting paid a decent wage because we see a lot of turnover in the in the community sector when it comes to health care and we uh, we know that people are traveling distances they're not getting paid for their travel costs they're not uh, you know they're not being paid for the time that it takes them to travel from patient to patient uh, and their wages are quite quite a bit lower than within the hospitals as I'm sure you know and so there's a whole bunch of pieces to that system that we need to fix. Okay. Thanks so much, Andrea. I know oh, that uh, that you, you have to go. I'm, I'm getting notes from your people here. <laughs> and uh, I have to say, I'm sorry to the callers who couldn't get through. Andrea, will you come back so uh, these people can call back? I'm always enjoying the conversations I have with you and your listeners, uh, Libby, so I will definitely do that anytime. Okay. Well, Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Callers Free For All Friday is coming up uh, so we can get your take on things. And right now we are going to take a quick break and we will be back with some very interesting statistics on who smokes pot back after this you're listening to an exclusive podcast of fight back on zoomer radio heard weekdays from noon to one you're listening to an exclusive podcast of fight back on zoomer radio heard weekdays from noon to one you're listening to an exclusive podcast of fight back on zoomer radio Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.